So today's message is about warfare, but it's about your mindset in the midst of warfare, okay? So I would love for you to vulnerably, vulnerably raise your hands if the last, let's say two months, you have been through Hades. Keep it up. Okay, let's just take a quick look around. All right. So there's something going on, something in the air. <laughs> um, I'm just stuff going on. And a lot of you have been through it and you think you're coming out the other side. Hopefully that's true. Some of you are in it right now in the middle of it. And um, I'm not saying that everything that you've been through is the devil or spiritual warfare. Sometimes it's just life. Sometimes life, it just stinks and is tough. And it's just a part of a fallen world. And sometimes it is the devil coming directly at you and trying to eat your lunch, right? And sometimes you were a moron <laughs> and something happened because of it, right? Like there's all sorts of reasons and why and all that good stuff. But a lot of us have been going through it. I know that uh, obviously this last week we went through it, but um, there's just a lot of stuff happening with our body. And I feel like the Lord's giving us a message for the body at whole, at large, of how to handle your mind in the midst of warfare. Okay? So um, that's what we're going to dig into. A couple things that I want us to keep in mind is that many of the devil's plans are to get you to quit. Okay? So the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But it doesn't specify exactly how he's going to steal, kill, and destroy. And a lot of times when we first hear that, we think, okay, this is, uh, you know, he's going to immediately come at me. It's going to be super obvious. And I'll have to fight him, and then that'll be it, and it will be good for a while, right? But a large part of the enemy's strategy is that he doesn't really care if you're in first place in your race with the Lord, your first you know, first lap, he's like, hey, cool, good for you. Keep on going. Maybe your 10th lap, he's like, hey, that's cool. I'm not worried. I'm fine. This is like a million lap race. <laughs> and so he thinks to himself, all I have to do at some point in the next million laps is to get him to trip and fall and not get up. And then I win. If he can just take you out at some point in your life and get you to stop chasing after God, and stop obeying the Lord, and stop being obedient to the Lord, then he wins. This is a huge part of his strategy. If you search through the Bible, you're going to find dozens of places where it talks about don't quit, keep going, get up, don't stop, stand firm. In fact, the, the main verse that we always think of whenever we think of spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6 one of the main principles of putting on your armor is stand firm. Don't stop. Don't quit. Don't fall over. Don't sit down. Don't give up. Keep going. Don't stop. Because it's one of his primary attacks against you to get you to throw in the towel. Is there anybody in the room in the last two months has been like, wow, this whole life with God thing stinks and I'm done and I'm throwing it in. Okay, it's real, and it's how the enemy wants you to be. So we have to remember Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. So a big part of today's message is do not grow weary and lose heart. I, I hear you. I feel you. We're in the middle of it. I get it. Don't get weary. Don't lose heart. Stand firm in who God is for you. Just think about how many friends that if you walked with the Lord in high school and you had your buddies who were like running hard for Jesus in high school, how many of your friends, what in the world are they doing with their life? They've totally fallen off the wayside. How many friends in college where you guys were like, Jesus forever, and then now they're gone. And you look back and you just think, what in the world? Like we had a pact. We were going for Jesus forever. We would do anything and it's all gone. And they've just left the Lord. The enemy loves it. One of our agents, he's a football coach of a, a small Christian high school in Oklahoma City. And he tells me, Grant, our biggest challenge is always injuries. You know, like we could go against the, we could have the best players in the whole league on day one, but because we're so small, there's not enough of us to go deep. It doesn't matter at all who we have in the roster. Injuries every single year will take us out so that we're worthless at the end of the game. And that's how the enemy wants you. He wants to pick each of you at the most perfect moment whether it's because of your stupidity or whether it's because of life or whether it's because he's just straight up attacking you. He wants to pick you off and get you out of the game so that the kingdom of God is not advanced effectively. So a couple things that I want to walk you through this morning. When you go through times like this, and if you're not in it now, just make notes because <laughs> it's coming at some point. You've got to keep things in perspective. Oftentimes, when you go through difficulties, the Lord is preparing you. He's trying to teach you how to reign. He's trying to put things inside of you that he needs inside of you so that you can become everything that he's called you to be. And the perfect example is we see this with the life of David. You see David when he's a young child, you know, 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old. He's been, from what we can see, relatively abandoned by his dad. He's like, David, get out in the field. Adios, amigo. Take those sheep by yourself. Your brothers are going to stay here with me and the family, and you just take care of those sheep. Here's a lunch for several weeks. Good luck. And David, in the wilderness, possibly abandoned by his family, abandoned by his brothers. He has no help around him. That's the place where God puts deep inside of him, I am your daddy. I am your father. I am your defender. I am the one who fights for you. In the Bible, there's several translations that actually say that there were lions and bears. Plural, okay? And so David's out there by himself, 
trying to take care of his sheep, trying to be obedient to his father, and God's teaching him about strength in the Lord and how to be a son of God. And when the lions come, he defeats them under the might of God, and he learns to realize God is with him. God puts something inside of him in the wilderness season when nobody else is looking that he could not pick up any other way in his life. Because God needed to raise him up to train him to reign so that he could become all he was called to be. You see it again. We see that Saul is uh, he's having demonic spells. And they need somebody to come play the harp. And David comes in to the king's household. And in this wilderness season, he's like a nobody. He's a musician that just gets called in when this demon is freaking out. And David gets to come in and play the harp. In this wilderness season of being a nobody, right, the Lord's putting inside of him, this is how you run a kingdom. This is how you run the king's house. This is how you treat others. He got to be a part of it. And then Saul gets mad at him. He picks up his spear and he tries to kill him. And David has to flee and he has to run and back again. He's in the wilderness. And again, we see him in the wilderness season, God putting things inside of his heart. We see Saul trying to chase him down with thousands of people to kill David for doing nothing. And Saul comes into the cave and God delivers David, uh, Saul right into David's hand. Perfect moment to take him out. And the Lord is putting something deep in David's heart. This is what honor is. This is what treating the anointed of God looks like. And David doesn't kill him. He cuts off an edge of the robe. And he's convicted even for that. And then Saul runs away. David's in peace for a short little while. And then Saul gets angry again. And he chases him with 3,000 men coming running after David and his men to kill them all. And in this one evening, the army is just on the other side of the hill, and David looks out, and he sees 3,000 warriors looking for him to kill him. And he has boldness and courage like he had when he was in the field with the sheep. And he rises up, and he says, that's it, I'm going to take a stand. And he walks down in the middle of the night while the whole army is asleep, and he walks straight up to Saul, and he grabs a spear right next to Saul's head, and he grabs the water jug right from his head, and he takes it with him. To prove a point, we could have killed you tonight, but we didn't. And he learns in that moment, walking past 3,000 sleeping men in the middle of the night, that the Lord backed him up whenever he had the boldness and the courage to rise up and go do the things that God put in his heart. Because the Bible says he put, God put a deep slumber upon the whole army. And we see it again. David has to run away again. And he goes to live with his enemies, the Philistines. And it says that every day, David's men would go out and they would raid God's enemies' camps. Every day. And he would report back to the king of the Philistines. What did you raid today? What plunder did you get today? And God was training them day in, day out. This is how you fight. This is how you war. This is how you get good in battle. So that when you become the king, you are skilled and you are able. And you have everything inside of you to build the kingdom of God that David had been anointed for. So in the wilderness seasons, when David seems like all of my life is over, it's all a waste, I should give up and quit now, God is putting deep, deep things inside of him, training him to reign. And so for you, when you go through those seasons, we've got to stop and ask the question, what is it, God, that you're putting inside of me? that I could not pick up in any other time. If I wasn't in the middle of this situation, what are you putting inside of me? 
God, who do you want to be for me now that you couldn't be whenever I wasn't in this situation? That is the most life-changing question that we picked up from Graham Cook. When you go through hell, ask God, what do you want to be for me now that you couldn't be before I was in this situation? So keep it in perspective. The other thing that I want you to keep in perspective is when you go through the stuff, heaven always has a strategy. Heaven is not afraid of your warfare. Heaven is not afraid of your enemy. Heaven is not scared of whatever you're going through. Heaven always has a strategy. We see this a couple times in the Old Testament. The ones that come to mind are from Jericho. Joshua, he rises up and he's about to go and to take God's people into the promised land. Moses has just passed away. He gets the most incredible encouragement from the Lord. This is what the Lord says to him, Joshua chapter 1 verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. And this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened. So he has this moment with God. He's commissioned by God to go out. And he's getting ready to go attack the people at Jericho. So they just crossed over the Jordan River. And in this moment of glory, the whole nation crosses over the Jordan River. It's a dry riverbed because a couple miles up the road, I think it was like 21 miles up the road, God put his hand in the river and stopped the river. And it piled up tens of feet high to stop the river so that they could walk through on dry, dry ground. And the Bible says that when the enemies of God heard what had happened at the river, they quaked with terror. Their hearts melted. They were terrified at God's people coming into their land. Ugh. And so they go up to Jericho. This is Joshua's first big battle. Jericho is a mighty, mighty, mighty city. It is extremely well fortified. They say that the walls were up to 40 feet tall and at least 12 feet thick. All the way around the whole city. And their army was huge. And heaven had a plan. Heaven wasn't scared of those walls. Heaven wasn't afraid of, of what was going on there. Heaven had a plan. And it says the angel of the Lord comes to Joshua. And he says, all right, listen up. Here's the battle plan. We're going to go walk around for six days. One time for six days. And then we're, on the seventh day, we're going to walk around seven times. And then you're going to yell, woo! And something's going to happen, right? But you see, what's so important about this story is I think the Lord is teaching Joshua and he's teaching us today. When you are going into battle, the warfare has very little to do with what you are physically doing in the earth. It has very much to do with what's happening in the heavenlies. And so when they shouted on that seventh time, something happened in the atmosphere. The earth shook. The airwaves shook. And it violently dropped all of the walls. It says that they sunk into the earth. Boom. And they run in. No walls at all. And they defeat God's enemy. 
Heaven always has a battle plan. The other one that comes to mind is with Gideon. Gideon, he was uh, afraid. He was scared. He was terrified. The people of God were being harassed. This is in the book of Judges. And they couldn't even gather their crops without getting it stolen by their enemies. So Gideon is this puny little tiny person from what we can tell. He's hiding. He's doing his chores inside of a barn. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, mighty man of God, the Lord has called you. And he's like, mm-mm, who are you talking to? And there's no mighty man in here. And he says, mighty man of God, the Lord called you to do this. And so Gideon rises up. He has strength to go out. And the Lord has a battle plan. It says that Gideon gathers the whole army of Israel, 32,000 warriors. And Gideon's feeling like, all right, okay, we can do this. All right, you know, like it's kind of like one versus one pretty much against the enemy. Like, okay, we got a shot. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, hey, no, 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 this is not heaven's plan. Heaven's plan is to very clearly prove who's in charge here. There's too many people. Send them back. If they're scared at all, send them back. 22,000 people leave. And then he says, no, no, there's still too many people. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to have them drink water, and whoever drinks like this, they're the ones who stay, and there's only 300 people who are left. They're about to go against an army of tens of thousands. But heaven's not scared. Heaven has a plan. Heaven knows how this battle is supposed to go. And so they go out there, these 300 people, again, with the sound of proclamation, they go out in the middle of the night, they surround the area, and they shout, and they smash their pots, and all of a sudden, the army is thrown into a panic, and they begin to kill themselves, and the Lord wins the victory, again, through proclamation and through sound, right? Heaven has a plan. So we've got to keep things in perspective. God's training you even if it feels bad. And heaven's not afraid of whatever you're going through. Heaven has a plan. And what our job is, is simply to find out what is the Lord saying and come in line with what he's saying to you for this specific battle. Now we're going to give you five steps for walking into battle, five principles for battle. So step one, this comes from Joshua chapter one. And uh, Joshua gets the best pep talk of your life. We just read it to you. A couple chapters later, they have the most amazing victory over Jericho. They've just wiped everybody out. That's his first battle. But then Joshua does something dumb. They're about to go take their next uh, battle. And they, they're going up against Ai. And they say, hey, Go spy out the land and let's find out how hard this battle is going to be. And he's riding high. He's like, man, we can take anybody. <laughs> Y'all go find out. Let's find out. They come back and they say, hey, it's easy. It's no big deal. Don't send everybody. Just send 3,000 people. We've got it in the bag. He doesn't stop and seek God for what heaven's battle plan is. The 3,000 people go out against their enemy and they are whooped. And they run scared. And 36 Israelites die on Joshua's watch because he doesn't pay attention to the battle plan of heaven. And in that moment, we find in Joshua chapter 7, Joshua is a mess. He's in bad, bad, bad shape. Okay? And so Joshua, he's saying here, um, it says, verse 1, chapter 7, But the people of Israel, they broke faith in regard to the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against them. Joshua sent men... From Jericho to Ai, which is 
near here. And they said to him, get up, spy out the land. And the men went and they returned and they said, Joshua, don't have everybody go, but let two or 3,000 men go up and attack and do not make the whole people toil up there for there's few. So 3,000 men went up from there and they fled before the men of Ai and the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate and they struck them at the descent and the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Verse eight or verse six. Then Joshua tore his clothes and he fell to the earth flat on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and all the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, go oh God, why have you brought the people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? So to me, what this says is Joshua is clearly in panic. Joshua has totally forgotten the big pep talk in chapter 1. And he is done. He's terrified. He's like, God, we should have stayed in the desert. What the heck are you doing? You clearly aren't strong enough to take care of this issue. I quit. I throw in the towel. I am done. I'm finished. Like a couple of you guys right now. This is too hard. This sucks. I'm done. Okay? Can you relate? And here's what the Lord says to Joshua. This is step one. Chapter 7, verse 10. And the Lord said to Joshua, Get up! Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They've transgressed my covenant that I've commanded them. And they've taken some of the devoted things. And they've stolen, they've stolen, they lied, and they put them amongst their belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel can't stand before the enemies of God. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. And he goes on to say, Joshua, take care of the problem. Get up and get back out there. And in the next chapters, we find the most amazing battle of all of history in the Old Testament, in my opinion. What happens next in the second real battle of Joshua's life? I guess it's the third battle. They go back to Ai. They whoop up. Shocker. Okay. Things are getting better. And then the Gibeonites come from next door. And they trick Joshua. And they say, Joshua, hey, buddy, we're, so, we're far away. Can you do a truce with us? And they're like, yeah, sure, we'll do a truce with you. Again, they didn't ask the Lord what they should do. And so now their next door neighbor, who is supposed to be wiped out by God, is now under their protection because they made a truce with these people. And the next thing they know, five kings, five nations, get furious at the Gibeonites for making a truce with Israel. And so five kings rally together, grab all of the men, and they come to destroy these little, tiny, worrisome Gibeonites who have made a truce with Israel. And so the Gibeonites are like, uh... Joshua, hey buddy, you remember that truce we made? Why don't you come and protect us all because we're about to die against five countries. And Joshua now is in the third battle of his life and it's a battle he doesn't want to be a part of. He had nothing to do and he shouldn't be in because he did the wrong thing in God's eyes. 
But now they go up and they fight against the enemies of the Gibeonites and they wipe out five kings. And it says that the Lord showed up in strength for them and it says that the Lord threw hailstones down upon them and the Lord killed more people with hailstones than were dead by the sword. You know what that means? That means the Lord literally doubled the effort of the warriors of God through the heavenly means. Because when we go to fight, it has very little to do what's happening here. So much to do what's happening here. The Lord doubled their efforts. And then it spirals out of control from that point. And all of a sudden, the five kings have been whooped up on and they begin to panic and run and they go to these other countries and begin to ask for help and Israel is on a tear, just moving forward town after town after town. And before you know it, 31 countries are destroyed by Israel. And it happened in a flash of an eye. The Lord doubled their efforts. If you don't quit, if you rise up and obey again, the victory of the Lord can come fast and furious. Unexpected, even allowing you to gain ground in the enemy territory that you never, ever thought possible. Faster and more powerful and easier than you ever thought possible if you will just get up. Amen? Step one, get up. Step two, Stand on the word and the promises. If you don't have the word as your root, you have no hope. So you've got to stand on the word and on the promises. Psalms 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. That's what the Lord wants it to be for you. Psalms 18, this is one of my favorite chapters when I'm going through the stuff. This is verse one. I love you, Lord, oh, my strength. The Lord is my rock. He's my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed around me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me and the snares of death confronted me. But in my distress, I called upon the Lord and to my God, I cried for help and from his Temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Verse 16, he sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me. For those, who, they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in my day of calamity, but the Lord was my support. Verse 28, for it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness, for by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer, and he set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand has supported me and your gentleness has made me great you gave me a wide place for my steps under my feet and my feet did not slip I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back until they were consumed I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise they fell under my feet for you equipped me with strength for the battle you made those who rise against me sink under me hallelujah amen 
You've got to have the word of God as your deep base to hold you strong, to gird you up, to make you rise up and say, that's it. God, come and do this for me. The other scripture that I want to read through is Psalms 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only see with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked because you have made the Lord your dwelling place the most high who is my refuge no evil shall be allowed to befall you no plague shall come near your tent for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of their ways and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone and you will tread on the lion and the adder and the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot because he holds fast to me in love I will deliver him says the Lord I will protect him because he knows my name and when he calls to me I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble and I will rescue him and I will honor him and with long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation amen this is who the Lord wants to be for you but you got to stand on the word so step one, get up. Step two, stand on the word. Stand on the promises. Step three, demand recompense from the enemy. We did a, a message on this a couple years ago, so you can catch it on the podcast. I can help you find it if you want. But short story, long story short, demand recompense. The Lord set forth rules for battle, rules for theft in the Bible. Exodus 22, verse 1, if the thief steals an ox, he has to pay back five times of the same thing that he stole. If he steals a sheep, he has to pay back four times what he stole. In the kingdom of God today, an ox is like a worker in the kingdom of God. A sheep is like a, a, a child of God. Exodus 22, verse 4, if the thief is caught in the act of stealing and the thing he was stealing is recovered, he still has to pay back double is what the command of the Lord said. Proverbs 6, 30 through 31, if the thief steals money, he has to pay back sevenfold what he stole. So God's law states that when the enemy comes and he steals from you, he must pay back retribution two times, four times, five times, or seven times what he stole depending on the situation. So there's this great book, it's called The Good Fight of Faith. This guy named Alan Vincent wrote it. If you are looking for something along these lines, it's a fantastic book. But one of the analogies in the book, he says, there was once a man who was a businessman in New York City. Every single day, he walked along the same path. He always kept $100 in his wallet. And every single day, he turned the corner, and guess what? He got mugged. Same guy, same time, same place, and every day he pulled out his wallet, he pulled out his hundred bucks, he gave it to the guy, and he went on and he went to work. Now, the thief would be a moron not to be there at eight o'clock every single day, right? And some of you guys, I hate to say it, allow Satan to be that type of thief in your life. You know, the enemy comes and he steals and he kills and destroys, which you know Jesus said this is going to happen. Okay, yeah, okay, it happened again. 
here you go, okay. And you just hope it doesn't happen. But then guess what? The next day it happens again. And the enemy is like, bingo, jackpot, everybody right here, this is the one to steal from. But then one day, the businessman, he's walking along and he has a new thought. He has a new mindset about warfare. And all of a sudden, he learns jujitsu. And so this time he's walking along, uh, 7.59, 8 o'clock, he turns the corner, guess who's there, and he's there to confront, and this time he does one of those like, hi-ya, chops him in the throat, guy can't breathe, like, and he walks on to work. And the next day, you know who's not there to take his money? Right? Because he learned how to fight. So simple. You've got to learn how to fight. The Lord has given you rules in the Bible of how to fight the devil. He will come, steal, kill, and destroy. It's the word of Jesus. But when he does, if you're an easy mark, he's going to keep coming over and over and over. But if you understand the rules of engagement according to God's law, and you show up to the courtrooms of heaven, and you say, excuse me, Father, the enemy has come into my life and he's stolen this from me. I'm asking that you would make him pay back what he stole seven times according to your own words. You know who's not going to be stealing from you too much more? So dig into that. Learn how to demand recompense from the enemy whenever he does come your way. Step four. Bind and loose appropriately. When you're going through Hades and all hell is crashing in around you, you have to learn how to bind and loose appropriately. Matthew 16, 19. Jesus told us that he's given you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind up in heaven will also be bound up on the earth and whatever you loose in heaven will also be loosed on the earth. The warfare of a believer is very real. However, the battlefield is not the place where victory is decided. Get this. The battlefield in your life is not the place where victory is decided. But victory is decided by a legal decision in the courts of heaven. And when that decision is announced in the heavenlies, then we go to the battlefield to, to watch it play out. So you've got to be aware of what the Lord says in the heavenlies, what he says to loose, what he says to bind. And then you come to the battlefield and you release it here as well. We've done lots of teaching on binding and loosing, but if you don't believe me, you're wrong. Binding and loosing is powerful. It will change your life. <laughs> I can tell you stories later. Step five. Oh, I'm sorry, still part of step four, a part of binding and loosing is declaring truth consistently. Um, you currently are sitting inside of Jesus in heaven on his throne right now. And he has given you authority as his son. Jesus has all authority. When Jesus speaks, the world was created. And he has given you the authority and he has put you inside of him for a purpose. And so again, we pay attention to what the father says. He gets excited when you speak it out. And when you speak out truth under the authority that Christ has given to you, things change in the atmosphere. And so it's so important to speak truth, to declare truth. 
based on what the Lord is speaking to you in that situation. Okay, step five, last step. Don't be a hermit. Open up to trusted friends and mentors who can help you reframe your situation, okay? Graham Cook often says, if you're having a bad thought, just have a new thought. <laughs> if you're having a bad time in life, just have a new thought, right? Reframing your mindset in the midst of situation can immediately change everything going on because it's so easy in our minds to just spiral down, 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 down. But if you stop and you get up and you reframe the thought and you put it in perspective, it can all of a sudden change everything and you'll still be in the middle of all the junk, but you're going to feel completely different and you're going to have a clear path of how to get out of it. But if you're a hermit and you don't open up and share with people around you, then it's so much easier to just keep spiraling down. Jesus said in John 8, verses 31 through 32, If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So this is multi-tiered. If you abide in my word, then you are living in the truth of God and that's gonna set you free. So you've gotta be deep in the word. If you're going through all the junk in the world, you've gotta be deep in the word so that you can get out of the junk that's happening around you. The second part is if you speak out the truth of how you're really feeling and be vulnerable and share what's really going on, especially with mentors and people around you who can help pull you up, when you speak it out, the truth will set you free. Because then it comes to light and you can expose the lie and you can get truth inside of you to pull you out of it. And then the third thing is if you're around people who can speak the truth into you, then again, the truth will set you free, right? So if you're going through junk and you're acting like a hermit and you're not connecting with the body of Christ, you're making the wrong choice. The truth will set you free. You've got to be around God's people to let the truth get in there and set you free. All right? So we're going to recap, and then we're going to turn on some music, and Judy's going to come up and help us through some ministry time. So step one. Well, not step one. I want you to keep things in perspective. What is God trying to put inside of you? What's he trying to be for you now that he couldn't be in any other time? The second part is heaven always has a strategy. Heaven's not worried about your warfare, but you've got to find out what the strategy is. Step one for the principles of battle, get up. Whenever you fall down, get up. Keep moving forward because God wants to double your effort in warfare if you'll find out what the strategy is with him and just move forward. Step two, stand on the word of God and on his promises. Step three, demand recompense from the enemy. Learn how to fight well so he'll leave you alone. Step four, learn how to bind and loose in heaven so it will be on earth. Declare truth consistently. And step five, the truth will set you free. Pull other people in and let the truth set you free. Amen? Judy, come on up. Here's what I want us to do. If you raised your hand earlier, you didn't know you were being volunteered earlier, but if you raised your hand earlier, I want you guys to come on down to the front. And if you feel like 
Uh, you should have raised your hand. Come on down to the front. We're going to have a, a ministry time, and I'm just going to let Judy take it over. And she's going to pray some declaration prayer. She's going to break some stuff off. She's going to help you see some freedom this morning so that you walk out of these doors with a new mindset in a new way. Earlier in prayer, I saw this picture of an atomic bomb, and I saw the mushroom cloud of the bomb, and I saw the energy wave that happens when an atomic bomb goes off. And I felt like the Lord was saying, I want to reframe people's mindsets about warfare. People are in the middle of warfare and I want to drop an atomic bomb of my truth and of peace to set people free in the midst of all of it. And this bomb that I saw was one of peace and shelter and protection. It was a 360 degree protection all around them of the Lord in the midst of warfare, just stopping everything, putting an end to all the enemies for a moment and letting God come and be himself in the middle of your battle. Amen. And then we had several other words along the same lines of God wants to change your mindset in the midst of warfare. And so that's what we're going to be praying into. Okay, he said to speak out what you need to have done because just thinking isn't going to run the devil off, Right. And God hears your words, so your heart is speaking to God. And listening to him is, is the basic part of warfare. So we're going to do, we're going to profess the truth, and we're going to tell the thing to flee. We're going to make the devil have to leave you alone. And you're going to get back at least from one to seven times more than what he thought he was going to do. You, he has to repay back, Right. So basically, we're going to go through kind of a corporate prayer of running the devil off. So say, Father, I come to you this morning with a need that only you can take care of. I confess that I am your child, that I have authority, and that what I speak, you hear. I thank you that I have authority over the enemy and that he has to flee and that I will get in return up to seven times more of what he tried to take from me. I say now, as I stand in faith, that the successes of the Bible of yesterday our successes for today. So it's not done in the old times. (laughs) It's for today. And I can use the same principles that the stories in the Bible were told to show how much power our Father in Heaven has over the enemy. So I'm telling you now, Spirit of uh, depression, spirit of destruction, spirit of death, death of my body, death of my marriage, death of my business, death of my mindset, and all those things that the enemy's trying to kill to get a hold of me have no root because as I profess 
that I am an overcomer, God, through the blood of Jesus, has taken away. So all you spirits, no matter what you are, you have to go now to the feet of Jesus, where he'll know what to do with you. And I don't want you around me. I don't want you around my family. I don't want you around my business. I'm sick and tired. I'm being sick and tired of this situation. I am uh, a conqueror. I am the child of the Almighty King. And I give this to you today. I prophetically put it in my hand, this problem I have, I put in my hand. I lift it to Jesus. And I say, take it, Jesus. And by your word that says by the stri your stripes, it was all done for me. I proclaim that word in everything I need that I can go on and live out my destiny in Jesus' name. Amen. And I want to close with one thing that the Lord was putting on my mind when Grant was talking. You know, the world, we hear so much negative. It's hard to be positive in this world. And think of your children. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty together again. Well, that's what your kids are hearing. But instead, turn it around to the King Jesus instead of this negative thing. Poor Humpty Dumpty who sat on the wall. We all heard about your terrible fall. But there's one thing we'd all like to know. If you weren't mended, where did you go? Were you boiled in a pot? Fried in a pan? Baked in a cake? Are you, are you a gingerbread man? Don't throw him away, you heard King Jesus beg. His shell may be cracked, but he's still a good egg. You know, it's what we say, it's what we take in, it's what we have in our heart. And when you're going through thinking you're not going to make it, you remember King Jesus said, I'm not a God of even second chances. I'm a God of third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances, 50 chances, pick yourself up, stand up, profess the word, fight the devil, go after him, take back what he's stolen, and be warriors. We are soldiers, we're warriors. And this church is meant to help each other. It's not just for you to suffer by yourself. So don't be afraid to go to people and say, I'm, I really need your prayers, I really need your help today. My egg's been cracked but I'm still a good egg. <laughs> so, Father, we thank you that we need help with our cracked eggs. We all get cracked in different areas of our life, and we need you so desperately. And we thank you, Lord, that we have each other and that this church will go grow exponentially as we come together as a tribe. As those 300 men came together, it wasn't one of the 300. It took the 300, and yet they were just a remnant. We're just a remnant, Father.
We're just a small remnant in this big body of Christ, but we are mighty. And so let us be like Gideon, Gideon's wares. Let us go forth, but with each other, arm in arm and hand in hand, and let us march against the foe. Let us go forth and be mighty, and we will give you the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. That's all we got. <laughs> what?